Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, a senior canola agronomist with Nutrien says we have a pretty good handle on three of the four R's for optimum fertilizer application. Lyle Kowal will tell us which three that we're good at and which one is the weak point right now. Also coming up on today's program, how to make the agriculture industry more productive was the theme of a report released by Farm Credit Canada. FCC looked at agricultural productivity which they defined as how much inputs are used compared to how much output is produced. We'll have a story on that. Manitoba Agriculture has released its insect pest report for 2023. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlosky will join us on today's program for that. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. A senior canola agronomist with Nutrien says we have a pretty good handle on three of the four R's for optimum fertilizer application. Lyle Kowal says there is a lot of information on the right product, the right time, and the right place. The weak point is the right rate. Kowal made these comments at the Agronomy Research Update yesterday in Saskatoon. I think we need to do some more boring correlation work to better understand our soil tests that we are using relative to potential responses in the field. We need the field truth soil tests a lot better. Before we take steps towards developing new methods of measuring nutrients in soil, we need to understand what those numbers that we measure mean in terms of responses. There's no value in developing a new soil test if you don't have the time to take to go out into a field and field truth it. We need to, as I said, look at long-term rotational balance of, of nutrients. And that's true for every nutrient, particularly true for relatively insoluble nutrients like phosphorus and potassium. I think there's plenty to be understood in the organic matter cycling, uh, in particular for organic, uh, organic phosphorus cycling. And we are in a point right now as well that I think a lot of people in this room could start to help in terms of field truth and responses with the technology that we now have at our fingertips in using field strips and soil testing and benchmark sampling, targeted sampling, uh, targeted measurement of yield responses that we could perhaps extract thousands, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of data points in terms of responses. Kowal says the challenge is remaining in the so-called maintenance range which is like keeping your bank account in balance or in a slight surplus. And a lot of farms in Western Canada are in this space, and this is where balancing nutrient removal by nutrient application probably has its most merit. 
The tricky part will be for the fields or farms where, where the soil is significantly deficient. And is it enough to simply apply the amount of nutrients that you're removing? Probably not. In those particular fields that are extremely deficient, you probably need to exceed your removal rate. That is the hard part of the question, I guess, as far as the right rate of nutrients, be it NPKRS, for those fields that are in a deficient zone, and we need to build up those levels of nutrients. And it becomes harder for nutrients like phosphorus and potassium that are really based not on a particular compounds like nitrates uh, within the soil, but rather using a soil test that gives us an index of availability. So with potassium, as I have in this particular figure, we really can't zone in and understanding the amount of potassium on a pound by pound basis. Rather, we have a soil test that extracts a, a given amount of potassium from the soil, and it gives us an index of availability of deficient or marginal or sufficient. Lyle Kowal is a nutrient senior canola agronomist based in Tisdale. He spoke yesterday at the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture's Agronomy Research Update in Saskatoon. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. The ice futures canola market remains under pressure heading into the new year, lacking any significant supportive news of its own that could spark a move higher. Ken Ball of PI Financial in Winnipeg says we have a fundamental picture in canola that looks reasonably comfortable as far as supply goes, so there's no great pressures. He adds that the oil seed will need support from outside markets to move higher, and for now it's just not getting it. The January canola contract traded just under $650 per metric ton a week ago before finding some support to move back towards the $660 per metric ton area yesterday. However, from a chart standpoint, Ball expects values could dip to $625 and adds that even going below $600 wouldn't be a surprise unless we get some support from the U.S. markets. A major player in the sector says a domestic sugar policy would help kickstart the Canadian and particularly the Albertan sugar industry. The Alberta sugar beet growers want a national domestic sugar policy, which the organization says could lay the foundation for resurgence in the sector. Such a policy would regulate the amount of sugar imported into Canada from cane sugar producing countries like Brazil and India. That would shift focus to homegrown sugar beet production and processing. The group says its growers produce only 8% of the sugar sold in Canada, while the remainder is imported cane sugar. The immediate goal of a domestic sugar policy would be to double sugar beet's market foothold to 16% of national sugar consumption. The Canadian Agri-Food Automation and Intelligence Network, or CANE, is seeking applications for a competition geared toward creating or developing new smart farm networks. Funding under this initiative will support a collaborative on-farm tech innovations in hopes of encouraging farmers to adopt emergent agriculture technology. Kane receives funding from Science and Economic Development Canada to address challenges facing agri-food producers and processors. 
According to a December 8th Kane press release, the competition will build on the $30 million Kane has already committed to 30 projects, whose value is over $100 million. Proposals will be evaluated based on several criteria, including technical merit, breadth and knowledge of network members, and economic and social benefits to Canadian ag tech and agriculture. More eligibility guidelines apply and can be found on the program guide. Argentina's new government of libertarian president Javier Millet will seek to raise export taxes to 15% on some grains, though that would not impact tariffs on soy. The news comes a day after Economy Minister Luis Caputo laid out economic measures to fix an embattled economy, including raising taxes on some exports, though he had said that this would not apply to the agricultural sector. Argentina is one of the world's top exporters of processed soy oil and meal, the number three for corn, and important producer of wheat and beef. Wheat and corn exports are currently taxed at 12%, while soybean exports are taxed at 33%. The government is desperate for funds, especially foreign currency, with the grain sector the dominant driver of exports. Bird flu is spreading fast in Europe, but arrived later this year after a warm autumn delayed migration of wild birds, the main carriers of the virus that led to the death of millions of poultry in the past years. Although highly pathogenic avian influenza, commonly called bird flu, is harmless in food, its spread is a concern for governments and the poultry industry due to the devastation it can cause to flocks and a risk of human transmission. The virus usually strikes during autumn and winter and has been spreading in many European countries over the past weeks, but with a delay compared with previous years. An increase in outbreaks had previously been observed at the beginning of October, whereas this year the rise has only taken place from November. The report notes that the severe bird flu virus was detected in wild birds and mammals in the Antarctic region for the first time. And Saskag Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskag Today. And yes, it is free. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and plus 2 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. How to make the agriculture industry more productive was the theme of a report released by Farm Credit Canada. FCC looked at agricultural productivity, which they defined as how much inputs are used compared to how much output is produced. Inputs include labor, capital, land, and materials such as fertilizer and feed. Outputs include crops, livestock, and other agricultural products produced. The productivity level increases when outputs are greater than the inputs used. Christian Rengasiami is the principal economist with Farm Credit Canada. He notes agricultural productivity has declined over the last decade plus. 
So productivity was around you know two percent in uh, ninety from the nineteen nineties to twenty ten, right? Around two percent productivity growth, and then we've seen a decline of productivity growth to around you know one point four percent over the next decade, which is twenty eleven to twenty twenty, and then the forecast for twenty twenty one to twenty thirty is about one percent, right? Which is about half what it was at the peak, uh, you know, those two good decades that I mentioned earlier, right? So what, what we did is that we looked at, uh, you know, the data. We said, okay, what would happen if Canadian productivity growth could go back to those levels that we saw in the 1990s to 2010, which is 2%, right? So what would be the benefit to the agricultural sector? So, uh, and uh, we came up with an interesting, interesting answer. While it's already being done, He says precision agriculture and improved irrigation techniques are a few ways that Canadian farmers can increase productivity. There are ways to boost productivity, right? So we're simply saying, you know, what would happen so if productivity doubles? And here it's it's clear that, you know, agricultural yield can, can increase. And you have a variety of tools here, right? So you have precision agricultural machines controlled by GPS, for example, right? So this is already happening, by the way. Uh, on the crop side, you, you know, there are improved irrigation techniques, uh, technologies that can help uh, boost productivity, you know, improve fertilizer management practices, for example, planting disease-resistant varieties. Uh, for livestock, there's a potential to optimize animal nutrition and genetics, and also herd management, right, to, to increase productivity. So a lot of things that could be done. And, you know, I'm not even talking about mechanization here, automation using drones, harvesters, and so on, efficient tractors to reduce tillage, and therefore the cost of inputs, including diesel, right? So there's so many things that could be done to increase productivity. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to, you know, uh, allow Canada to boost productivity growth to 2%, right? It's possible, right? But at least those are, you know, potential potential measures that could be uh, implemented to, to increase productivity growth in Canada. Christian says if Canada manages to increase its agricultural productivity to around 2%, it can add as much as $30 billion in net income over 10 years. It's time now for the livestock market conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in your... Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 167.77 this hour. That's up 55. April live cattle trading at 171.42, up 47. January feeder cattle trading at 219.65, up 227. March feeder cattle trading at 220.40, up 255. February lean hogs trading at 70.47, that's up 3.75. April lean hogs trading at 77.12, up to 75. And that's the livestock market conditions. 
commodities update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. January canola trading at 654.40, down $5.90. March canola trading at 665.80, down $2.50. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 716 per bushel, up two and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 633 and a half, up one and a half cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 613 and a quarter, up eight cents. March corn trading at 479 and a quarter, down a quarter of a cent. January soybeans trading at 1311 and a quarter, that's up three and three quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 356 and three quarters, up two and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. Manitoba Agriculture has released its insect pest report for 2023. Provincial entomologist Dr. John Gavlowski starts off with small grain cereals. Probably the uh, the biggest concerns in small grains were armyworms and grasshoppers. Those were two fairly um, more major concerns. And then in some fields, we also had aphids in the small grains. Now, grasshoppers overwinter here, and when we get consecutive years with um, some drier temperatures, it it tends to build their cycles up, and that's what's been happening. And so grasshoppers were an issue in a lot of crops last year. The armyworms and the aphids, they're uh, insects that don't overwinter here. They, in the case of armyworms, they're a moth that migrates up. And we had a fairly big migration into Manitoba this past year, and it wasn't just localized to a specific area of the province. Sometimes when they migrate in, it might be just, say, the eastern part of the province or a certain area that has issues. This year it was quite widespread. So armyworms were another major concern this year. And the aphids, they blow in. Um, The problem occurred quite late. In some fields, natural enemies, some of the predators and parasites were able to contain the aphids to sub-economic levels. Other cases, people did have to spray for them. He then moved on to corn. So, yeah, we had, um, well, there was a little bit of uh, cutworms in the southwest. I I wouldn't say a major concern, but uh, a few fields anyway where cutworms were an issue. Um, Didn't see a lot of corn borer this year in the corn. some years that can be an issue, but I wasn't really getting reports of um, high levels last year. Gavlowski then took a look at insects in canola and mustard crops in Manitoba. Flea beetles being one of them. Um, now, the amount of foliar spraying that happened last year wasn't as much as the previous years. So I think what happened last year um, people put their seed in and they they were able to get fairly quick uh, growth through those seedling stages. And I think that helped minimize the amount of damage by flea beetles and the amount of foliar spraying that was needed. With flea beetles, it can be 
it can be really tricky because uh, a, a lot does depend on how long it's taking the plants to get from the day you seed until the three to four leaf stage. And I think it happened quick enough last year that there still were issues, but compared to the previous years, they weren't quite as great. Uh, as far as other insects go, uh, probably diamondback moth would be the other issue in canola that um, was a concern in some areas. We did have some fields that needed to get sprayed. Um, this is another insect that doesn't overwinter well in the Canadian prairies. They blow in, and um, we we did start picking up some um, higher counts in our traps at the very end of May and into June. So the moths were arriving, and they go through several several cycles here, and um, we we did have um, uh, some fields that were sprayed mainly in um, July and August for diamondback moth. Uh, Ligus bug, um, there was some control reported in a few regions. Um, I wouldn't say a lot of fields got sprayed for Ligus bugs. Some did. This is a sap feeding insect. They put their beak into, they, they like the new growth, so flowers, buds, pods. It's really when they're feeding directly on the seeds that they can be an issue. Um, thresholds for those, for Ligus bugs and canola, have gone up. Some uh, more recent research suggests that you need minimum 20, but probably about 30 per 10 sweeps for them to be an economic issue. Um, and in some fields, they were at those levels. A lot of fields, though, they weren't. Those are probably the, the, the bigger issues in canola from the past year. He also studied bugs in sunflowers this year. There were a few. Um, there was a little bit of cutworm issues um, early in the season. Uh, there's a, a couple insects that are very, very tricky to manage. Um, one being sunflower bud moth. And what this insect does is it burrows into the, uh, the stems or into the under part of the head. And they leave a pile of black us where they've tunneled in so people know that they're in there and in some of the fields in some regions uh, particularly the eastern interlake and a bit the central region we were seeing a lot of evidence of um, sunflower bud moths to the point where it got uh, quite a few agronomists and farmers a bit nervous it's a tricky one though because by the time you're seeing that there's really nothing you can do it's a really tricky insect to try to manage um, little bit of banded sunflower moth activity in some areas as well, but particularly more in the eastern region. Um, banded sunflower moth is a moth that lays their eggs on the head and the larva will feed um, somewhat on the flowers, but they will also get right into the seeds. So if there's too many of them, that could be an issue. And again, there was just a, a few fields in the east where um, banded sunflower moth were an issue. Gavlosky then had an update on insect pests in Manitoba field peas. So field peas, we always do get a few reports of um, aphids, pea aphids in particular, in field peas. Um, most of the insecticide applications and the higher levels were in more the central region of the province. At least that's what was reported to me. So there was a little bit of spraying for aphids and peas. In some years, once again, the natural enemies can keep those populations uh, stabilized quite well. 
Now, the other insect we're keeping an eye on in peas is pea leaf weevil. And so that's the uh, weevil is a type of beetle. In this case, it's a, a small little beetle. And it's the, the larva of this weevil that is actually the issue because the larvae feed on the nodules that grow on the roots of pea plants. The nodules are the things that fix nitrogen for the plant. So if you have too many pea leaf weevil larvae feeding on the nodules, less nitrogen fixation is happening. So um, we did have some, I'll say, fairly high levels in the northwest, maybe into the southwest a bit. Um, a tricky one to deal with because uh, by the time you start seeing a lot of notching from the adult weevils, they've probably laid a lot of eggs already. Um, seed treatments can help somewhat in areas where there was a lot of pea leaf weevil feeding this year, so for next year. Seed treatments can help somewhat in those um, areas with the higher levels, but again, they're a tricky one to manage. Uh, also, we did notice that the pea leaf weevil population is spreading further east in the province. For um, it's, it's a newer insect in Manitoba, and for the last few years, it's mainly been the western part of the province where we've been seeing it, but we've been surveying for it. And uh, this year, we were finding pea leaf weevil as far east as about Elm Creek in Manitoba, which is much further east than we've been finding it in the past, not at high levels in the more central and eastern areas of the province, or in this case, I guess, more the central region. Um, but it is moving, so we're going to be keeping an eye on the levels in the central region as well. And he notes there were some issues with insects in soybean crops this year. Uh, there were. Um, so soybean aphid, um, I wouldn't say it was an outbreak here by any means. Um, they moved in in early July, as we often uh, see them. At least that's when we got our first reports of people noticing them. Um, they did get to levels where uh, people were controlling them in the central region. That was about um, um, late July and uh, in the interlake a little bit as well in early August. So a few fields got sprayed for soybean aphids. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a, uh, a major problem. It was more uh, localized. A few areas did have issues with them. And once again, in some of the fields, um, predators had built up to very noticeable levels in some fields. And so that would have been helping to regulate the, the populations. Uh, we did have just a few fields as well sprayed for spider mites. And um, this was more in the central and eastern region. And um, spider mites do better in dry years. If there is a lot of rain, um, they, there's uh, fungal pathogens that will help control them. If there's uh, uh, too much moisture and just the physical rain can be an issue for them. So we did have some populations build up in the eastern and central region. A few fields got sprayed once again, but not a lot. And uh, one more in, in soybeans that's worth noting, we had a lot of an insect called green clover worm. And these are caterpillars. They're bigger than a diamondback moth, but they have the same behavior where if you disturb them, they start wiggling like crazy to try to escape. They kind of go nuts and uh, have this snaky wiggly movement that they do. Um, it's an insect that doesn't overwinter here. They blow in. We had... Um, High enough levels that people were really taking note of them. I'm not aware of fields being sprayed for them. 
Um, but they were certainly one that we were keeping an eye on. But we had a lot of the moths um, in September. Um, some of the people were describing the situation where they were out combining, and there were just moths all over the field as they're out there. Um, they're nocturnal, the moths, they, or they're active in the evening, but if you're out combining your crop and they're resting there, uh, people were disturbing these. Uh, some people would describe them as clouds of moths that were coming out of the crop. The good news is uh, they don't overwinter here, so they should all be killed off by our winter, and uh, what we get next year will depend on what blows in. That's Dr. John Gavlosky, the provincial entomologist for Manitoba Agriculture. I'll have more with Dr. Gavlosky coming up on tomorrow's program when it concerns Manitoba's forage crops, potato crops, and stored grain. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds southwest becoming north at 10 to 20, a high of plus 4 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds north-northwest at 10 to 15, a low of minus 5. For tomorrow, partly sunny with a light wind, a high of plus 1, an overnight low of minus 5. For Saturday, mainly sunny, winds south-southwest at 15 to 30, a high of plus 2. For Sunday, partly sunny, a high of minus 2, Monday, partly sunny, a high of minus 3. In the Paw and Swan River, it's plus 2 degrees. Dauphin is at plus 4. Brandon, plus 1. Show Lake Russell, minus 3. Roblin, minus 2. Regina and Winyard Wadena Kelvington are at plus 2. Saskatoon, plus 3. Hudson Bay, plus 4. Broadview Mooseman, 0. Indian Head, minus 2. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a southwest wind at 15 kilometers an hour. 50% is the relative humidity. The temperature is plus 2 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.